Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Thursday the 18th of February 2010, entitled, Standing Before Our Saviour, and the Bible reading is taken from Romans, chapter 14, verse 10. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Welcome to Global Warming 2010. <laughs> Well, amen. Good to see all of you here. I know you, uh, I told pastor, I said, we'll see who really loves God tonight. No, I, I do appreciate y'all uh, being so faithful this week. And uh, let me say what an encouragement it is to uh, see the faithful ones here from Bethel Free. I want you to really pray uh, for the upcoming days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday is a very, very uh, crucial time. It's a very encouraging time. And I just want to publicly say how much I appreciate the people at Bethel Free opening up um, a little bit of yourself to allow these young people to come in. It's an encouragement, and I know that it's a blessing to the young people. Uh, it's a blessing to this preacher, and uh, I thank God for this church. Um, you know, I was telling uh, Shelly and I had, uh, and Tenica had lunch together today, and I was telling them that um, I don't know of another church, Peter, where... When you say the the last amen of the service, that it's 11 o'clock before you go home. That's such an encouragement because not everywhere, Steve, that you go, I'm, maybe excluding a couple churches in America that I've preached in, uh, that is a rarity. That's not a that's not the the, the that's the exception, not the rule. And so uh, don't take it for granted. And know how much I love each and every one of you here at Bethel Free. I thank God for you. And I appreciate your prayers. Uh, thank God that uh, the Lord is showing Himself strong. Uh, I'd been praying. We did not, not have a lot of meetings in November, uh, December, and January. Uh, but I got two emails uh, this while I've been here for summer camps. And so I'll, I've got two more on the calendar, and uh, it's filling up uh, as we speak. So I thank God for that. Uh, but tonight I want to look at a few things that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Some of this you already know, uh, but it, it, it's good for us to refresh our minds about what the Scripture says. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter number 14, and let's look at verse number 10. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Now, having said that, I want you to hold your place right there and turn over uh, a couple books to the book of Matthew and look at chapter number 7 very quickly. This is not my message, but I just want to show you something. Matthew chapter number 7. I want you to look at verse number 1. One of the most quoted verses I've ever heard in my life. But a lot of times, one of the most misquoted verses. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. How many people you ever heard said, judge not lest you be judged? Judge not lest you be judged. <laughs> well, why does, why, does the Lord of, why does the Lord of hosts say that? Why did He say that? Why did He say, judge not that you be not judged? You want to know why He said that? Because if we would judge ourselves, the Scripture says, we'd have no need to be judged. See, folks, self-judgment is not for condemnation. Self-judgment is for examination. It's to motivate you to judge yourselves. I want you to look at what Jesus said. For with, the, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, or whatever measuring stick you use to judge somebody, you're going to be measured, it's going to be measured to you again. Look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? And 
but consider not the beam that is in thine own eye. Folks, what he's saying is this. You look at your brother and his problems. For instance, he says, you consider the moat in your brother's eye. The word moat literally means a speck of sawdust. You'll look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and don't even consider the beam in your own. You know what he's saying? He's saying a lot of times, us as Christians, we want to look down our spiritual spectacles at everybody else and say, you know what, they need to get some things right in their life. Something's wrong with them. And look at the little bitty speck of sawdust in our brother or sister's eye, but we don't see that we've got a building beam sticking out of our own eye. And he says, you know what, that's wrong. Self-judgment, folks, is, for, is not for condemnation. Self-judgment is for chastisement. It's that God would chasten us before, listen, before the ultimate judgment comes. What does the Scripture say? If you're a son, it says, in, listen, when you endure chastisement as all partakers... You're a child of God, but if, you don't, if you're without chastisement, it says then you're bastards. You say, preacher, don't cuss in our pulpit. I'm not. I'm telling you what the Bible says. The word bastard means you're an illegitimate child. That means you're not God's child if you are without chastisement. If you are not having the chastening hand of God on your life when you do something wrong, you probably need to have a checkup and see if you're one of God's children. One of the best evidences that a person is saved by the grace of God is when you do something wrong, it's almost like you wound the Holy Spirit. It's like you hit Him right in the face and it's wounded. And that conviction comes upon you. That's chastisement. Listen, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And God don't chasten His children for punishment. He chastens us to correct us because He loves us. We need to thank God for chastisement. He said, but if you judge yourself, you don't need to be judged. Look at verse number 4. Or how will thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote or the speck of sawdust out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. Look at verse 5. I, you want to talk about, you say, you think preacher Brian's rough? Look at what Jesus said. He said, you hypocrites. First, Cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. You know what he says? Deal with yourself first before you start pointing fingers at anybody else. You're welcome. Now, having said that, I want you to think about it. The Bible says that we're going to have to have some self-examination in our life, some self-judgment, if you will. Now, folks, listen. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 14. Look back at it now. He says, but why does you judge thy brother, and why dost thou set it naught, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of ourselves or himself to God. Folks, can I preach a message to you tonight entitled, Standing Before Your Savior? Standing before your Savior. I want you to think about this, and I've got some of my Greek friends here. They taught me something last night. When I went to school, and I went to Greek class, I learned what you say, what you would call ancient Greek or historical Greek. They speak modern Greek. So just bear with me for just a moment, all right? This is the way I learned it. There are two words in the Greek language for the words judgment seat. One is a Greek word which 
literally, it's the Greek word criterion, or we get our English word critique from it, or criteria, or a standard, if you will. The other is the Greek word bima. We get it, it means a judgment seat or a raised platform. Listen, folks, there is a standard that we will be judged by when we stand before our Maker, before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We will be critiqued, if you will. It says, for we shall all, Chris, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I've missed some appointments in my life. Have you? Have you ever written, and I don't have one of them palm pilots or one of them PDAs that you put down the dates and everything on. I usually write stuff, stick it, stick post-its and put them on my dashboard, Peter, and sometimes I put one on my forehead so I really don't forget it, you know. Just post it right there and I won't forget where I'm supposed to go. But Steve, there have been times when I've missed appointments that I should have been at. But can I tell you something, folks? There will be one appointment you will not miss. You won't miss this appointment. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, preacher, if that word means that we're going to be critiqued, we're going to have a standard that we're going to be judged by, then what, what should we do about this? Folks, we're going to stand. The word bema means a raised platform. Listen, they used it for two reasons. Matter of fact, in the ancient day Olympic uh, games, so to speak, they would have a, a place, a raised platform where they would give out the rewards. Most, most of the time, a laurel wreath, which was a temporal thing, but when you won an event, they'd put a laurel wreath at the bema. Or it was a place where a person of authority, a king, if you will, or a judge would sit and people who were common day criminals would stand before him and they would get their sentence read to them by the, oh, at the bema. And folks, can I say this? We're talking not about a temporal reward or a temporal judgment. We're talking about all of eternity. You're going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you're going to give account of what you've done after you've been saved. I've had a lot of people say this, Preacher, I've always had this picture that when we stand before Jesus, it's going to be like a big, uh, big platform's going to come up and this large screen's going to come down from the, ski, from the ceiling and then everything that we've ever said, everything we've ever done is going to be put on there in view of everybody. I don't think that's the way the judgment seat's going to happen. Matter of fact, folks, the, listen, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, number one, is inclusive. Look at our scripture. Look at, look, at, look at Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says, for we shall all. It didn't say some. It didn't say 85% of the Christians. It said for Malcolm, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's inclusive. But not only that, it's individual. Look down at verse number 12. It's not only an inclusive judgment, number two, it's an individual judgment. Look at verse number 12. So then, every one of us, you know, as much Peter as I love you, as much Malcolm as I love you, Chris, I love you, Panos, I love you, but you know what? As much as y'all spoken encouragement words to me and me, me speak encouraging words to you, none of you are going to stand with me when I give an account of what I've done before Jesus Christ. It'll be me and me alone. And by the way, you will too. By yourself individually it says so let ev listen so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to god you know i would like to know I, me and my dad were going to a football game when i was about 12 years of age it had been raining unbelievably hard for like 3 days the waters were at flood stage and alan we were driving to the game and my dad as we, as we topped the hill and began to go down into the valley where the river was at, there was a bridge across it. 
There was a young man who was waving his arms. He had looked like what looked like a white t-shirt on, but it looked like it had some kind of pattern or writing on it. When we got closer, we noticed it was blood. He had blood all over the front of his t-shirt. He was flagging us down like this. When we stopped Peter, my dad got out and talked to him and he pointed across over the bridge. Well, what I didn't see was the bridge had, had a crack in it and she swerved to miss the crack, ran over the bridge, knocked the side of the, uh, the, the guardrail off. She's down in the water. He had crawled out of the car, crawled up the bank, Steve, and was waving us down not to come across because it was very dangerous, pivotal. It could, cr it could crumble in any minute. Preacher Russ, when we got there, she was holding her 11-month baby out of the window of the car and the water was rising. My dad said, Brian, do whatever you got to do, but stop all cars from making their way to this, this bridge. He jumped 20 feet off that bridge into that water, swam and saved that lady and, his, and her. I'm going to tell you, my dad was my hero now. I mean, you don't mess with a man to jump 20 feet off a bridge and then save somebody and get up there and then you going back, talk him out, ain't going to happen. But he told me to wait. And you know what? We were able to stop two cars that were coming from driving across that bridge and ultimately something bad happening. And pastor, you know what I said to myself? I, I'm glad that that little bull was standing there doing this because if we had drove across that bridge, we'd have probably met our peril. They were warning us. And you know what, folks? There's a warning tonight for us as Christians for what's going to take place and we need to take heed to it. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then every one of us must give an account of himself to God. There's a warning, folks. Number one, I want you to see something with me. Number one, I want you to see the region. Somebody has asked me, when is this judgment going to take place? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you tonight what I think the Bible says, and this is not my opinion, this is just what I think the Scripture says. I want you to, number one, look at the region of the Bema Seat. The region of the Bema Seat. Where is it going to take place at? Well, folks, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 says this, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so, sh so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? Let me tell you something, folks. I believe that the next prophetic event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. I don't think anything has to be fulfilled for it to happen. It could happen before I even say the last amen tonight, and we could forever be with Him in glory. Ain't you glad about that? Then tell your face. It ain't matching what you just said. The rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. There's going to be a period of seven years called the tribulation of the time of Jacob's trouble. After that seven years, there's going to be a revelation in glory where Jesus is going to physically come back on his white charger and set his feet on the Mount of Olives. And thank God we're going to be with him riding our white stallions. After that, there's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, you don't believe the Bible then because that's what the Bible says. We shall rule and reign with Him a thousand years is what it says. But folks, I believe that what's going to happen is, and the reason I say that is because if you've ever played on a sports team, what usually takes place is after the season's over with, almost immediately, they have a banquet where they give out awards for most valuable player, uh, most improved, most outstanding defenseman, most outstanding offense player. They give out awards, Malcolm, and it's usually just after the season's over with.
Folks, I contend to you, I believe the moment that we inhale here and exhale in glory, we're going to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and we're going to receive what we've done in our body, whether it be good or bad, worthy or worthless. So you say, preacher, you believe the place it's going to take, the, the, the region it's going to take place in, is it right in heaven? Absolutely, it's going to take place in heaven, I believe just shortly after the rapture of the church. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The region of the Bema seat is going to take place in heaven just after the rapture. But not only that, but I want you to see the rewarder of the Bema seat. Who's going to be the one that's going to be rewarding us? You know what the book of John says? John chapter number 5 verse 22 says that God Himself, the Father won't even judge, but He commands, listen, He commends into the hand of the Son all judgment. You know who's going to be judging us? Jesus Christ. He's committed all judgment into His hand. Folks, you know what? I'm not talking about baby Jesus tonight. I'm talking about the King of glory. I'm talking about the one that the psalmist said. Listen, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty to battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is this King of glory. That's who's going to be judging us. Not baby Jesus. King Jesus. Isaiah chapter number 9 verse 6, Tim says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Jeremiah chapter number 23 verse 5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. John looked out through that crowd that day that he was baptizing Peter and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But can I tell you something? He ain't just a lamb. He's the lion. And it's just as much as he said that we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's grace, that's the lamb-like qualities. But the lion-like qualities is he is truth too. Revelation chapter number 5 says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and the loose of seven seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, Steve, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And John said, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Tim, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book in the looks of seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which of the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the one that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, Jim, which are the prayers of the saints. And they, the ones that were standing before the throne, sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I'm about to perish tonight trying to tell you about my precious Jesus. Do you understand, folks, the rewarder of the one that's going to be giving us crowns is none other than Jesus Christ. You can have all your theology correct. 
You can have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Somebody, you know what? And I can guarantee you there's about, a, there's about 80% of the people in here that's a whole lot smarter than I am. But can I tell you something, Preacher Russ? Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. But knowledge without zeal is dead. And folks, you know what? It's about time that we stop getting excited about what's coming on TV tonight or who's going to be playing the premiership and all these other things. And we need to get excited about who's going, we're going to stand before and watch Him give us crowns. We need to get excited about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's our rewarder. He's the one that's going to be giving us crowns. You know, we sing a song, what a day that'll be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. When He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Do you know what? I think when He looks at me at the judgment seat of Christ, I thank Malcolm for about a hundred years I'm going to melt like butter before His presence because it says, He has eyes as a flame of fire. On His head are many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but He Himself. And you know what, folks? It's just my contention that when I look at Him and I know who I am, I'm going to fall at his feet like John said. And John just didn't touch him, Steve. He spoke to him. Aren't you thankful that Jesus just don't touch us? He speaks to us. And he told John, he said, Listen, John, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Can you understand, folks? Listen to me. Can you understand how important it is for us as born-again believers to realize that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The one I've preached since 1993 about. The one that you came over here to give the untainted Word of God to people, preacher. For 20-some years, we're going to stand before Him and we're going to say, all to Jesus. All to Jesus. He deserves it all. I think I'm going to melt just for a few hundred years like butter because you know what? I'm going to be looking, Peter, into the eyes of the one who knows everything about me? He knows everything about me. He knows my intentions. The psalmist said, Behold, Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. You've known my down-sitting, Scott, my uprising. He said, You even know my thought afar off. God knows what you're thinking before you even think it. He knows our intentions. He knows our motives. So who are we to try to fool Him? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, folks, the, the region of the Bema seat. What will it take place? In heaven, shortly after the rapture. I believe we're going to get, be given crowns or lose crowns based upon what we've done, whether it be worthy or worthless. Number two, the rewarder of the Bema seat is none other than Jesus Christ. But folks, can I give you just a few thoughts tonight? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Most of you already know where I'm going. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I want to talk about the reason for the Bema seat. The reason for the Bema seat. Number one, I want you to see this. Look at verse number 9 of chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 9. For we are labors together with God, and ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise... Master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed, or beware how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than it that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what? What's the next word? Sort it is. And I say this, folks, when you stand before King Jesus at this reward seat, this is not a judgment of sin. God's not going to be judging you because of sin. Do you know where our sin is at when we stand before this Bema seat? Chris, it is as far, the psalmist said, as the east is from the west. We're not standing before Jesus Christ and being judged on our sin. This is not a judgment of sin. This is a judgment of service. We're being judged because of our service, of what sort it is. Whether it be gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. There's a movie out right now, preacher, and you, I believe you've seen it. It's called Fireproof. It's about a husband and wife. He's a fireman. They almost at the, at the brink of divorce. God moves in. He gets saved. He leads his wife to Christ. They become reunited. But can I tell you this, folks? When we stand before Jesus Christ, our works are going to be revealed by fire. And they're going to be put to the test by fire. And gold, silver, precious stone will be purified. But wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. Can I ask you something tonight? Is your life fireproof? Is your life fireproof? Because if you build with gold, silver, and precious stone, it'll be purified. But if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burnt up and dissipate in about five seconds. What kind of judgment is this? Why do we have a Bema seat judgment? Why are we being rewarded? Well, I'm getting there, but I want to show you something. This reason of the Bema seat, number one, it's not a, listen, this is not a quantity judgment. This is a quality judgment. It's not how much, but how well. You're going to be judged not based on how much you do, but how well you do it. Preacher, the Scripture says, let us not be weary in well-doing. It didn't say just go around spinning your wheels and have activity and be pragmatic. That's the problem with most churches today. They're very pragmatic. You know what the word pragmatic means? It means busy. Just busy doing something and not praying about what God wants us to do. If you're just busy, you've got a lot of quantity going on in your life but no quality. Let me tell you something, folks. It says that you're going to be saved so as by fire. In other words, you're going to be just saved with nothing but your life. And I'll tell you something, folks. I don't want to get to heaven and be saved by just nothing but my life. I want to be saved so I can see, I can see some reward that I can get back and give the glory to Jesus Christ and throw and cast the crowns. Roll at Revelation chapter 4 back at His feet, Steve. This is not a quantity judgment. This is a quality judgment, Carl. It's not how much, but how well you do it. But not only that, it's... It's Listen, it's not a how judgment, it's a why judgment. Why do you do it? What's your motivation for doing what you do? I want you to think about this with me. It's not how you do it, it's why you do it. Turn to Matthew chapter uh, number 6. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter number 6, very quickly. This judgment is going to be put to the test in your life and you're going to be judged and revealed, but your good works are going to be judged by fire. Every work that you do is going to be judged by fire. And folks, whether it be worthwhile or worthless, 
I want you to look at chapter number 6. Jesus said this, Take heed, beware that you do not your alms or your giving before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. But when thou doest alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know what Jesus is saying? When you do something, whether it be giving of ministry, whether it be giving of mercy, whether it be giving of money, He said, do not do like the hypocrites do. They used to get a three-man band outside, and when they got ready to give at the temple, they would have a three-man band literally strike it up and start playing, and they would go to the coffers, pull their shekels of Roman denarius out, and dump it in there and make a lot of noise, and everybody would go, wow, look how much he gave. And Jesus said, you know what? Don't record that down, recording angel, because he got his reward down there. It says, but when you do your alms or your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand giveth, that your giving may be in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret shall reward you how? Openly. Can I say this? When you get before Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged based not on how you did something, but why you did it. What is your motivation for doing what you do? Do you do it that you get a pat on the back? Well, I'll tell you what, brother, we couldn't do it without you. Do you do it that you might get your name put on a plaque? That's what's going on in America. Well, let's put a plaque on the name. We'll, we'll do this in honor of the family because they gave a large contribution to the church. Ugh. About to make me throw up. I believe God's got it, had it up to about here with that, Steve. Let's put a big plaque on the wall that says, Donated by... God's not impressed. He said, you know what? They just got their reward down there. They didn't get it in heaven. You say, well, preacher, why are you saying all this? Because, folks, listen to me. It is not a quantity judgment. It's a quality judgment. It's not a how judgment. It's a why judgment. Motivation. It's not only that. It's not just It's not an action judgment. Work, work, work. It's an attitude judgment. You're going to be judged based upon the attitude you had when you do something. Don't come to a work day and be mad about it. You might as well stay home. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't come to church and say, I had to come. You get to come. Hello? You get to come. There are churches in mainland China right now that are meeting in underground holes that they've dug. They've lined them, Pastor Russ, with trash bags, with bin bags. Most of the families don't even have a whole Bible. They rip the pages out, give it to each family so they memorize it. And we sit here with 15, 20 Bibles in our house, and then we're going to sit around and say, you know what, I just don't feel like going. I see a cloud in the sky. It might rain today. Let me tell you something. When you get before Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged not on your actions, but your attitude. How many of y'all have ever heard of Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison invented what? A lot of things, but he invented the lights, light bulb. Do you know, Alan, that he attempted to make a light bulb 10,000 times and failed every single time? 10,000 times. Somebody came to him one day and said, Mr. Edison, what does it feel like to fail 10,000 times? He said, son, I didn't fail 10,000 times. He said, I found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb work. He said, when I find a way to make one work, I'll give you a call. 4,000 attempts later, we've got lights. 
Now, let me tell you something, Steve. Everybody in this room knows who Thomas Edison is, but I can guarantee you there ain't nobody in this room that knows the name of the reporter that came and interviewed him. You want to know the difference? Attitude. What's your attitude like when you do what you do for Jesus Christ? Do you have a hidden agenda? Do you have a negative, rotten attitude? Does it smell to high heaven? Or do you do it with the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your, in your face? Because, folks, you're not going to be judged when you get to heaven by what you did. It's how you did it and why you did it. Attitude. Now, let me say something. This judgment is for those who are saved. This judgment that we've talked about in the last 30 minutes is for the saved. But can I tell you something, folks? There's another judgment coming. Not only the Bema seat, which will take place just shortly after the rapture, I believe, but after that thousand-year reign of Christ, it says that there's going to be a great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter number 20, verses 11 through 15 says this. It says, I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, from whose face the heavens and earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And listen, the dead were judged out of those books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which was in them. And every man was judged according to their works. And death and hell were cast, hurled into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen to this verse, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let me speak to all of you for just a moment. All of you look right in the whites of my eyes. If you've been saved, you'll stand before the Bema seat. But if you've never been saved, let me tell you where you've got to stand. You will be judged. And if you're not careful, if you don't bow the knee now, you will bow it later. And the great white throne, you don't want to be there. Because all the excuses you want to use... Lord, I, I got baptized. I was a member of the church. I went to catechism. I was a good moral person. I did good works. It says that he's going to use whatever agent he wants, whether it be angelic beings. I don't know what agent he'll use, but it says that he will cast those that aren't found written in the book of life. That means those that have not claimed Christ as their Savior, they'll be cast, hurled into the lake of fire. You say, preacher, you scare me. I'm not meaning to. I'm just telling you the truth. You know what scares me, Pastor? As much as I love my mama, she's been a good mama to me. Panos, if my mom died tonight, she's never accepted the free gift of eternal life. And you know where? I'm going to have to watch her judgment at the great white throne as God uses whatever agent He wants to cast them in the lake of fire. Now that's sobering, isn't it? But can I tell you something? The good news is you don't have to stand at the great white throne. You can bow your knee tonight and you can say, Jesus, I claim you. I want you to change me. I'm not just asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to be president of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life and ask Him to cleanse you and He'll make you a new creature. You don't have to stand before the great white throne. You can stand before the beam of seat of Christ as a child of the King. 
You can close your Bibles. I'm done with this. Back in 1975, University of Illinois was playing for the Big Ten Championship. You know a lot about this, preacher. You from that area. We like football. Hey, man, I love American football. I like English football, too. But I, I love American football. And in 1975, Peter, a young man for the University of Illinois, it was his senior year, his last year. He was a second or third string football player. He didn't start the games. And he had asked his coach, he said, Coach, this is the last home game I'll be playing. He said, do you mind? I have put in all the time. I've put in all the practice. Do you mind if I start this game, the last game? He said, well, son, I'm going to give you a chance. He said, but don't let me down. He put him in the game, Pastor, and... The game was going on, and the first kickoff, they kicked the ball off. The other team was receiving. He was on special teams. He ran down. He made the tackle on about the five-yard line. The coach went, what happened to him? His name was Michael. He said, what happened to Michael, man? What in, what in the world's going on with him? Well, he put him in on defense. He intercepted two passes in the game, and almost him ran one of them back for a touchdown. And the coach came, after he came off the, the field and on the sidelines, he said, Mike, what got into you, man? You are playing like a man possessed. After the game, they won. He took the game ball and he said, Michael, come here. We want to we give this to you, the game ball. You played the game of your life, son. What happened to you? He said, well, everybody in here knows that I'm a Christian. Everybody in here knows my daddy was a Christian, but my daddy was blind from birth. My daddy's never seen me play football. My dad's only listened to it on the radio. He goes into stands early, finds a radio, and he listens to the game. And he's never heard me play a game because I've never started a game, but I started today. He said, and most of y'all know that after last week's game on Sunday morning, they went and found my daddy dead of a heart attack. My daddy's in heaven. And he said, you know what, today, my daddy got to watch me play football for the first time from the realms of glory. And he said, I played today for an audience of one. I played today for my daddy because he was watching me. Oh, listen to me, folks. That's why I use the phrase, what we do, how we sing, when I preach, when you give an offering, everything you do is not for anybody else, it's for an audience of one. And today we do what we do for an audience of one. It's for him. Let me tell you something. Pastor Larry, I know your brother's not doing well. I know your mom would like for you to be there more, and I know you would too. Can I say this? I can't wait when I get to glory and I watch Pastor Curtis stand before King Jesus and watch King Jesus say, Well done. You persevered. You were faithful. You came here when you could have gone back home, but you stayed, not only for me, but for these dear people. I thank God one of these days I'm going to see my pastor friends crowned with an eternal weight of glory. I can't wait. And the songwriter said, it will be worth it all. Of time the day seems long. Our trial's hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear 
to catch his bride away. All tears forever banished in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. How about you? You ready for the, you ready for the beam of seat judgment? Because one of these days, you're going to stand before your Savior. Are you ready for it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. Tonight, just a simple invitation for God's people. If you're here tonight, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would stand at that beam of seat judgment because you've been saved by the grace of God. There's not a shadow of a doubt in your mind that you'd stand before Jesus Christ at the bema because you've been saved, not because you've been a church member, not because you've been a moral, good moral person, not because you've been baptized, but because you've been saved. You could say, preacher, I know I am, and I know I would stand there because I've been saved by the grace of God. You can raise your hand right now. Put it up and then put it back down. God bless you. As Miss Shelley begins to play, I wonder if there's somebody here that would be concerned enough to say, preacher, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure that I'd ever stand before the beam of seat, but I want to, and I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody that would just be concerned enough to say, Preacher, will you pray for me? Just slip it up and then put it back down. God bless you. Anybody else say, Preacher, will you pray for me? Just slip it up and then put it back down. I want to pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody? You're just concerned about your spiritual condition. And say, Preacher, will you pray for me? Christians, one question. Are you ready to stand before your Savior? Are you ready to stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. What's your motivation? This ain't a quantity judgment, it's quality. It's not how much, but how well. It's not an action judgment, it's an attitude judgment. What's your attitude like right now? Paul told the church, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Some of you are on the brink of giving up and giving in. You ought not slack up, pack up, or back up till you go up. What about you tonight, Christian? Say, preacher, God spoke to me about this situation that I'm going to stand before Him one day, and I want to be ready. I don't want to get ready. I want to stay ready and say, preacher, will you pray for me? Anybody like that? Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. I see the hands that's raised with mine. I want to be ready for Him, folks. What about you? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, for the ones that raised their hand that they're not sure they're saved, they don't have to go out of here wondering whether or not they'd go to heaven. They can know beyond a shadow of a doubt because they can pass from death unto life. They don't have to go out of here not knowing they'd go to heaven. I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd move in their heart. God, for the Christians in this room tonight that Say, preacher, need some encouragement. I need to understand that there's some things that, that are wood, hay, and stubble in my life, not gold, silver, precious stone. God, help us, I pray, to be ready.
and to get stay ready, not get ready. Lord, help us to understand that the rewarder is King Jesus, and we want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, when we get to heaven. So I pray, Lord, tonight, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, be acceptable in Your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. I thank You, Lord. I thank You, Lord, for Your great love and for Your unconditional love. Because when we were yet sinners, You died for us. Thank You, Lord, for moving among Your people this week, and I pray that it wouldn't stop, that You would bring a great harvest in for these next three nights and, I, and, and days. And I'll love You and praise You for what You do. Speak to hearts in this invitation time about standing before our Savior, and we'll love You and praise You for what You do in Jesus' name. Amen.